You know, as we enter into another Christmas season, something to keep in mind is the emphasis that we were looking at over the last few weeks in the first uh, chapter of Second Peter about the access and the opportunity that we each have to actually participate in God's divine nature. To participate in means to partake of, to share in. It's also an open invitation to engage with, to cooperate with, and to join with. I got a little bit of echo booming happen here. Uh, we're each created to participate in the divine nature. And that's just one of God's very great and precious promises given to us by his own glory and goodness. At the heart of all his promises is a covenant name, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. As we continue learning how to better participate in the divine nature and as we continue putting that learning into practice, several inside-out transformations will upgrade how we show up in the world every day. And part of that is a significant increase in our ability to escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. To best participate in the divine nature, we need to be committed to and actively engaged in making every effort to add to our faith. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith and from faith to faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I had some conversations this week with Joel Mom, and it was such a, I really, really loved it. And one of the things that he said is, faith is the reality and the journey. We're not humans having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. I think that's pretty cool. We are not humans having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Also last week, Graham Cook made a post about faith. It says, sometimes faith can be complicated. Sometimes faith can be complicated. If we're honest, from time to time, we all find ourselves recalibrating how simple our faith is, especially if we've been through times of hardship and suffering. The invitation from the Father is gentle and beautiful. Remember who I am. Remember who I am. And then Graham gave five truths about the nature of God that we can declare over ourselves and pray daily as a way of reminding ourselves just how simple it is to be in a faith relationship with God. Here they are. I trust you. I know you. You are faithful. I can count on your loving kindness. I know you have kind intentions. I trust you. I know you. You are faithful. I can count on your loving kindness. I know you have kind intentions. One of the things that Graham will share almost every time he speaks is God is the kindest person that I've ever known. Except he'll say it like, God is the kindest person that I've ever known. It's the way he says it. I've been hearing it since 1996. It plays over and over and over in my mind. For as long as humans have been on this planet, all those things have been true about God. I trust you. I know you. You're faithful. I can count on your loving kindness. I know you have kind intentions. They've always been at the heart of his relationship with us. The best way to cultivate a healthy, active relationship with God is to purposely remember who he is. Adam and Eve literally walked and talked with God in the garden on a regular basis from the very beginning. They lived with and experienced him as Emmanuel before that word had ever been spoken. Until one day, that day, 
They'd each been deceived into eating the one fruit in the garden God had forbidden them to eat. And then for the first time ever, the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day caused them to run and to hide. No way did they realize it at the time because deception is very deceiving. But what Adam and Eve did was exchange their Emmanuel experience with God for one bite each from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And listen, God didn't put that tree in the center of the garden and make it off limits just to test Adam and Eve. A lot of folks think about God like that. But that misguided thought about God is the residue of the devil's. Did God really say lie, which included an implication that God keeps good things from us? The truth is God prohibited eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he knew it was poison. From the beginning and forever and always, God has been, is, and will be looking out for our good. All of his actions and all of his intentions toward us are always based out of his mercy and his love for us. God's warning wasn't, eat that fruit and I'll kill you. Instead, God's caution was, if you eat of it, you'll die. And then as is his way, he left the choice to them. It wasn't just Adam and Eve's disobedience that changed things. It is the continuing fruit of that tree. Because to this day, when we overvalue and pursue the knowledge of good and evil, we still get distracted from the one who is our source of life. That distraction pushes us towards and then produces in us a corrupting influence in our hearts and our minds that results in us developing an independent self-centeredness that resists the idea of God with us. Before they ate the fruit, Adam and Eve lived in a sweet, protected, life-giving fellowship with God. And they instinctively, totally focused on God and his purposes for them. Afterwards, for the first time ever, they felt ashamed. And then they tried to hide from God. Their choices had distorted what they thought about themselves as well as what they thought about God and his ways. Their choices had caused them to forget who and how he was. Their choices had caused them to forget who and how he was. And the fruit of that tree still messes with us today in the very same ways. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Isaiah chapter 7. A little more than a thousand years after Adam and Eve's decision, God chose to verbalize and give vocabulary to his original intention by speaking the word Emmanuel for the very first time. In the most unlikely of circumstances, God released this incredible covenant promise through the prophet Isaiah to a belligerent young man who'd become Judah's king when he was 20. Isaiah 7, beginning with verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was the king of Judah. Remember, Uzziah is the one, uh, I saw the Lord, that, that Uzziah. So when Ahaz was son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, so this is Uzziah's grandson, was king of Judah. King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied himself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. 
King Ahaz and the nation of Judah were being attacked by two enemies at the same time, but they had not been overpowered. That's amazing in and of itself. It's one thing to win when just one person's at you. When you got two at the same time, they're still not overpowered. But then word came to them that their two enemies had formed an alliance. And that news created a tidal wave of fear in Ahaz as well as throughout all of Judah. Now, interestingly, just seven kings earlier, Judah and the king Jehoshaphat had faced a three against one battle. Jehoshaphat had called the entire nation to fast and pray, and they did. And a prophetic word and strategy came forth. They aligned themselves with it. God showed showed himself strong on their behalf, and that resulted in an amazing victory. In fact, they didn't even have to fight the battle that day. All they had to do was worship. But once again, Judah and their king found themselves in a similar situation. How would Ahaz and Judah respond this time? Verse three, then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son Shear Joshua, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Sometimes you just read through scripture, but pay attention to details here. It wasn't just like, oh, go meet Ahaz somewhere. This is is a divine appointment and location. Go meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field and say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah. On a day when Ahaz was inspecting and assessing the status of the vulnerable main source of water for the city, God sent Isaiah and his son with a timely message to a leader that was visibly shaken and afraid. I love the detail in the assignment. And in line with the encouragement to remember who I am, I just want to say that to this very day, God is still very purposeful and intentional. And he always knows right where to find us at any time. And he still sends words of wisdom and revelation to us through divine appointment meetings at strategically planned times and locations. You might hear something you really need at a church service, but you also might hear something you need at Walmart or at HEB or at your job or in a phone call or in a text or in a conversation. God is sending information. He knows right where we are. He knows what we need to hear and he speaks it to us in a variety of creative different ways. I've heard God speaking to me in a movie. I've heard God speaking to me on a billboard on a sign. I've heard God speaking to me on a bumper sticker on the back of a car at times. I mean, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, he's speaking to us all the time. He has not gone silent. If we're not hearing him, we probably got our ears closed. And I encourage you, just open up your ears. Open up your eyes. Watch and see. Open up your heart. Sometimes God will say something in your mind and go, ah. Don't mind to be quiet and listen to your heart. Because when God speaks to us, something happens inside our hearts. And we know it's him. And we know it's him. Isaiah met Ahaz with four key words that still resonate into today. Especially when we're feeling stretched or squeezed, afraid or under attack. Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. That is always good advice. Be careful is take heed in the King James Version. To heed means to honor and do what is requested, which means there's a choice to be made. So many times under pressure, we don't feel like we have a choice. We feel so pushed, so pressured. We got to do something. 
But instead, we can resist that thought and be careful. This be careful means to watch over, to guard, to protect, even to hedge in with thorns. Sometimes we hear be careful as don't make a mistake. But this be careful is really more about taking a slow and steady approach. This be careful is about deliberately thinking about what we're about to do and asking ourselves, does it line up with God and his ways? Is that what God would have me to do? Is that the witness that I have in my spirit or am I being pushed by something outside myself? Be careful helps us make better faith-based choices. In Hebrew, keep calm is be still, be quiet, be undisturbed. Now, obviously that's easier said than done when life gets hard, but this is a crucial internal posture. Keep calm is a, is a call to choose rest and repose, rest and repose. And in order to maintain a place of rest in a stressful situation, many times I've found that what I need to do is repose my heart and my mind because they're going in a different place, but I got to get them in a different shape. I got to get them in a different place and a different posture. On another occasion, the Lord used the same word when he said uh, through Isaiah, in repentance and rest is your salvation and in quietness and trust is your strength. That is a profound word. In repentance and rest is your salvation and quietness and trust is your strength. Sadly, the rest of that declaration in Isaiah 30 says, but you would have none of it. Mm. Lord, help us be people who respond different than that. Don't be afraid is one of the most consistent words of wisdom from Genesis to Revelation. I've heard that this phrase is uh, in the Bible 365 times, one for every day of the year. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows uh, better than we do that whenever uh, we're afraid, we put ourselves in a vulnerable position. Giving ground to fear is never a neutral choice. So this don't be afraid part of Isaiah's message called for an opposite spirit response. As I was digging into this a little deeper, one of the hidden things I found uh, in the, the definition and the meaning of this word for afraid is that we tend to give reverence to whatever we're afraid of. We tend to give reverence to whatever we're afraid of. And only the Lord is worthy of being revered. Don't lose heart is about a necessary internal decision. It was an exhortation to not allow faint-heartedness to steal away the resolve that we always need in the face of danger. The first time this word was used in the Old Testament, Moses was giving instructions about when you go to war. And this is what he said. Don't be faint-hearted and afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before your enemies. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you victory. Don't be faint-hearted and afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before your enemies. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you victory. When we remember who God is, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, and do not lose heart are all options we still have today. 
Specifically, Isaiah told Ahaz, don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. And with that, because of God introduced his perspective into the situation at hand. In the natural, Ahaz was shaken and well aware of the shaken hearts of his nation because of the new alliance between their two enemies. But God was still trying to point out to Ahaz something that's still so often true today. Things are not always as they seem. Yeah, those two allied kings had made plans for Judah's destruction. But God saw that threat very differently. And he had another idea for how this whole situation could turn out. Verse 5. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have uh, plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. It will not take place. It will not happen. That's a key word of revelation. And it was a direct appeal to Ahaz's faith. On the other side of, I know your situation, I know how it looks to you, God gave a definitive promise. You know, way too many times we fear something in the future. And a common mistake we make is projecting ourselves into that situation without factoring God into the equation. But remember who he is. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. But I'm getting a little ahead of the story. The Lord has already said that that which seemed imminent would not happen if Ahaz would just stand firm in his faith. Now, in my head, I tend to think about standing firm as, all right, standing strong, getting yourself postured. I'm immovable. You're not moving me. But surprisingly, the Hebrew word Isaiah used here for stand wasn't about standing still. Actually, it was about building up and supporting. So this kind of stand firm, stand at all was a make every effort to add to your faith decision that requires intentional work and intentional progress in order to activate a level of faith increase in our lives. It will not take place. It will not happen was paired with a specific challenge birthed out of an if statement. If statements are usually God's invitation into partnership with him. If statements give us the opportunity to join our measure of faith with God's word to us. And that moves us beyond just believing in God into believing God. In this particular case, God's if statement was cast in a negative light. If you don't build up and support your faith, you won't be built up and supported. Turning that around, if you do build up and support your faith, you will be built up and supported. God clearly bounced the ball into Ahaz's court. This situation that he was facing was a test, destined to become a testimony, one way or the other. When this story took place, Ahaz was living a totally compromised life. In James 1.8, it says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Ahaz had already done some despicable things, and he's going to do some more after this. 
And yet God was still appealing to a place of faith that he alone saw in Ahaz. Such an interesting thing about God. At that point in time of this story, if you were to look at Ahaz's life and look at the things that he was doing, you'd say that guy is off the rails and gone. He's turned his back on God. He's reprobate. There's no hope for him. But God. God still saw something in Ahaz that Ahaz might not even been aware of himself, but God still saw it in him. And God, in this situation, sent Isaiah to him to try to provoke Ahaz back into a place of righteousness, back into a place of right standing with God and his ways. I said this last night, and then I was thinking about it through the night. Uh, I feel like I'm going to say it again. It's like, you know, sometimes when people are sharing their testimonies about what's happened in their lives and where they've been, uh, something can sometimes uh, happen. Tammy mentioned about not being provoked by competition. You know, sometimes you see somebody doing something in spirit. Like, oh, they're doing it. Sometimes you hear somebody's stories. Go, well, that's my story's worse than that, or my story's worse than that. I mean, you can be like, can you top this when you're hearing testimonies about where you've been, and where you've done? No matter where you're at this morning, no matter what you've done, or maybe what you're still stuck in, your story is not worse than Ahaz's. This guy, this guy was a rascal at the highest level. And his rascalness has even made the book so we can look at it and see it, you know? God in his mercy doesn't have your story in the Bible for people to be reading and studying. But what I want to say to you is a man like that still had God's attention enough to say, I'm not finished with you yet. I've got something new that I can do in you. Come back to me. Come back to me. Step back into faith. Set all that behind you. Step, if he'd do that for Ahaz, he'll do that for you. And he'd do that for me. Verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Ahaz had an unmistakable direct word from God. It will not take place. It will not happen, which is totally opposite of the way it looked in the natural. And then on top of that, he also now had a God-given invitation to ask for whatever it would take for Ahaz to be able to believe God. What an awesome God we serve. And the passion says, go ahead, ask for a sign from Yahweh, your God. Ask for something so big, so miraculous, that you will know only God did it. Listen, over and over in the Bible, this same pattern exists. Sometimes we think about asking for a sign as a lack of faith. It's not. Asking for a sign is not offensive to God. It's still valid today. Ask for a sign, a signal, a flag, a beacon, a monument to help us believe and act on what God has said to us. I really do think that's just God's indulgence to our weakness. It's something God still uses to help renew our minds and expand our faith. At this point in my spiritual journey, my own life and walking with many other people, it seems to me that if or when we ask for a sign and it happens, it's time to take that leap of faith. Time to go. It's go time when that happens. Now, actually, there's a couple of, at least a couple of times in the Bible that came to mind when I was thinking about this, that uh, they asked for a sign and God did it. And you know what they did next? They asked for another sign. And God did that too. He so wants to help us take that leap of faith. So if you ask for a sign and it happens, take the leap. It's time to go. 
Time to go. Well, what happens if you ask for a sign and it doesn't happen? Well, to me, I think that leads to two options. One, you ask for something that doesn't happen, it could be very well time to move in a different direction. That idea you had, that's not a God idea. It's time to go in a different direction. But I've also found that a lot of times when you ask for a sign and it doesn't happen, it actually just means, uh, why don't you just watch and wait a little longer? You see, God's timing is often very different than ours. He's not working on the same clock that we're on. And very rarely does he get caught up in the tyranny of the urgency that we so, so grabbed in a brace. And in the kingdom, timing is everything. It's everything. So if you've asked for a sign and it hasn't happened, you've got a decision to make. And you'll know in your heart. You'll know in your heart. Oh, okay, that's not, that was my idea, not God's idea. I'm going this way. Or... No, I still think that's him. I'm going to keep waiting. I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to trust. I can trust you. You are faithful. You have kind intentions toward me. Verse 12. Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, that may sound very religiously and politically correct, but it was actually blatant rebellion an overt disobedience. It was spitting in the face of God, which in Ahaz's case was consistent with how he was living his life. He had no confidence in God. He turned his back on being in a relationship with God. He was denying his own history and lineage. He was choosing to walk in his own way, but still God was after him. Even with all that being true, God still offered Ahaz a chance to change the whole course of the rest of his life. And God still works with us like that today. Remember who he is. Remember who he is. God was giving Ahaz a chance to turn from the errors of his ways for his own sake, as well as for the sake of the nation that he governed. But Ahaz defaulted to his norm, and he missed the moment. The backstory: Ahaz had already cut a deal with and put his nation's future in the hands of the king of Assyria. Psalm 20, David wrote, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They're brought down to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Because Ahaz refused to remember who God was, he forfeited what would have been a great victory. And a lot of other people suffered the consequences of that bad decision. Shortly thereafter, 120,000 of Judah's soldiers were killed in a day. And 200,000 of Judah's women and children were taken into captivity. Let's let that be a wake-up call and a reminder to us that compromised decisions that we make very rarely just affect ourselves. And listen to this footnote from the New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible. God had told Ahaz to ask for a sign. But Ahaz really didn't want to know what God would say. Today we often use some excuse, such as not wanting to bother God or blaming some theological question that concerns us to keep us from communicating directly with God. Don't hesitate to bring your request to God. Hearing his answers and responding to them, no matter how difficult, will be far better than ignoring him and the help that he wants to offer.
verse 13. Then Isaiah said, hear now you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. In the face of Ahaz's unfaithfulness, Isaiah the prophet was exasperated. A right then opportunity for a life-changing sign from God had been completely missed. Ahaz had refused to ask for a sign of immense significance that would prove God's saving presence with his people. But God himself spoke a declaration of his faithfulness. The sign was full of mystery, but it also gave further expression to God's eternal heart for us. The sign Ahaz received would be a long time in the coming. In the New Living Translation, it reads like this. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, at the time, the promise of God with us was not an entirely new concept in and of itself. The people of uh, God, they'd had the cloud, they'd had the fire, they'd been through, their the, the manifest presence of God that was all part of their history. But with this sign, there was a brand new dimension of fulfillment with some specific details to look for. Today, we know the sign of Emmanuel speaks of Mary's miraculous conception and Jesus' birth. And at the heart of that amazing story we celebrate and remember each Christmas season is the reality of Emmanuel. Literally, the creator became the created and made his dwelling among us. You know, when Jesus was born in a stable and overcrowded Bethlehem, it was not the quiet, serene Christmas card event we often imagine. And in the spirit realm, it was a declaration of war. God's peace plan had personally made entrance onto the planet. The reconciliation plan required because of Adam and Eve's fall in the garden was Emmanuel. And through Jesus, a new and living way, a better pathway to peace between God and humans was introduced. The peace between God and humans that Jesus loosed would no longer require the animal sacrifices of the old covenant. It would no longer be achieved by human methods like passivism or compromise, accommodation or softness. Instead, Jesus came as peace through strength. And in Ephesians 2.14, it even says, he himself is our peace. In the message, the next verses of that passage explain what God did by sending Jesus. He tore down the wall that used to keep Jewish insiders and non-Jewish outsiders apart. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over and he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. God's ways are not our ways. They are much higher than ours. And in line with that, Jesus showed up in a surprisingly covert and humble way as continues to be his preferred method today. So if we want to keep building up, supporting, and growing in our faith walk, it behooves us to stay alert and to remember, I am, is Emmanuel. 2 Peter 1.19 says, We have the word of the prophets made certain, and we will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. And that verse serves as a reminder of all the prophetic words about Jesus' first advent. 
even as it points us to all the prophetic words about his second. And the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come. As Isaiah's writings were dispersed, generation after generation looked for the fulfillment of the sign God gave Ahaz. Hundreds of years passed. And then one day, a righteous and devout man who was living in a spiritual realm ahead of his time received this revelation. You will not die until you have seen Emmanuel with your own eyes. And just as God had orchestrated the time and location of Isaiah's meeting with Ahaz, God moves Simeon by the power of the Holy Spirit to be in the temple and literally Simeon had Emmanuel placed in his hands. But that's a story for another time. Let's stand together. Oh, Lord, we just thank you so much for the chance to be in your house today. Thank you for the power of the songs that we've sung this morning that just remind us again and again and again of who you are and how you are. And I pray you'd keep that fresh in all of our hearts and in all of our minds, Lord. Or we thank you for this story of Ahaz. Thank you, Lord, that even to this day, when we're faithless, you're still faithful because you cannot and will not deny yourself. You will not deny what you've started in us. We thank you, Lord, you never give up on us, that you keep pursuing us. We thank you for your patience and your persistence. Thank you for the ways, Lord, that you try to provoke us into more and more faith. Thank you for the good works you prepare in advance every day for us to do with you. If we'll just step into it with you, open up the eyes of our heart, open up our ears to hear and to see and to recognize what you're doing all around us all the time. Lord, I thank you that in this story we looked at today, a man spit in your face, cast off your faithfulness, cast off what you had offered to him. But you were still faithful. And we thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus. So crazy, out of this story of a king that was in overt rebellion come the promise of Jesus, Mary's virgin birth of Jesus. Amazing. Changed the whole world. Changed the whole world still changing the world today. I thank you, God, that you can take stories that look like they're complete myths and still work something amazing out of all of that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your heart for us. Thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And let us walk more and more in that revelation every day. Lead us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right.